0: Welcome to another episode of the WAN Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and this is the show where we talk to networking experts about the data services that make business possible. So today we're gonna talk about the cloud. Obviously that is far too broad a topic for a single podcast episode, Heck, probably even a single podcast season. Uh, But uh, we're going to narrow that down specifically today to cloud outages, how to avoid them, how to mitigate them and deal with them uh, once they inevitably potentially happen. Um, And uh, uh, when we look at this through the lens of the WAN manager, we've covered this on our WAN manager survey. Uh, And of course, a major facet of this as we're going to get into this conversation is going to be multi-cloud. Even back in in 2019, in our WAN manager survey, we found that about three and four enterprises were technically multi-cloud. We asked the question specifically about infrastructure as a service providers. We also found that the majority were in a hybrid cloud situations, so some mix of on-premises data, uh, uh, public private cloud, um, uh, you know. Mixes were, were varied, but you know most people had moved uh, at least part of their uh, data centers off of their campuses. Um, and of course, no surprise to anyone listening, uh, most of the folks that we talked to were using both uh, AWS and Azure, some mix of, of all of the others uh, kind of in that list. But I'm going to guess that uh, even being hybrid, being in those multi-cloud situations, isn't enough to avoid some of the issues that can come from cloud outages. And so, for that uh, to explain that whole process to us, uh, very, very detailed, I would like to welcome to the show the CEO of Go Cloud Careers, Mike Gibbs. Welcome, Mike. Thank
1: you so much, Greg. I'm so happy to be here today.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. I'm really excited to uh, learn a lot here because this is not a topic that I've delved into too deeply. Um, Before we get into that, Mike, I think it would be useful for you to just kind of go quickly through. uh, You have an extensive background in uh, networking and cloud. uh, And then, um, you know, a brief intro on what you're doing over at uh, GoCloud Careers.
1: Sure, Greg. And thank you so much. So a little bit about me. Ever since I left healthcare approximately 25 years ago as a nurse practitioner, I've been working in networking, enterprise architectures and cloud computing, and I've loved every last minute of it. I went into networking and I was became a CCIE back in 2000. In fact, my CCI number is 7417, which shows you how long I've actually been in networking back when it was a two day exam that had like a 90% failure rate. That was when I did it. And I got to tell you, that was the intro to networking for me. Mm -hmm. And I know that I had to read about 75,000 pages to get there and do about 400 hours of labs to actually pass that thing. That was when I began to learn networking, because it was only after that, that I was exposed to the big projects that I actually got to learn things. So I was really lucky. I got to work it on Wall Street, and I designed the network for the largest market maker on the NASDAQ. I got to be the lead architect on one of the world's largest banks designing their voice systems. I've consulted to about seven to 10 world's largest internet service providers. And I've been a lead architect at Cisco and their healthcare vision for about a decade. Mm -hmm. I was a lead architect at Comcast responsible for their network backbone. I was a lead architect at Riverstone Networks that was consulting on IP video solutions. So all in all, I've been designing systems for about 25 years now, and I got to tell you, after leaving healthcare, going into tech, I don't think I've ever worked a day in
0: my life. It's been the most fun yeah, that's, thing. That's excellent to hear. Yeah, well, and you know, it's it's really a, uh interesting for this show, right? Because uh, you're going to be talking about cloud, and cloud can be its own IT specialty, but you're clearly coming from that kind of WAN network oriented background about it, right? So,
1: well, that's the thing you know, the cloud providers, and I love the cloud, but the cloud is nothing more than a network in a data center that's been Mm -hmm. virtualized. Mm -hmm. And when we really look at what we do as cloud architects, we take the stuff, the servers, the storage, the load balancers, and we just move it to the cloud, which is just a virtualized network in the data center. So Mm -hmm. it's nothing new. In fact, our network architects have been doing cloud work forever. The first cloud I worked on was in 1997. It was called frame relay the next cloud was called ATM. And it was we had these 53 byte cells that we're using these optical links. And then the next cloud that I worked on with the BGP VPN and specified in RFC 2547. And then my team at Riverstone was working along with Juniper and others to create the VPLs cloud.
0: Mm-hmm. Now those are
1: four clouds that I'll give you that are over 20 years old. And right. you know, the cloud is not new. It's just this now it's like, okay, then we just virtualize the network in the WAN. And now we're virtualizing the network of the WAN and the compute. So. Cloud computing is just renting somebody else's data center. Right. And that's the simplicity of it.
0: Yeah, I always love to say that there is no cloud, only other people's computers and and wires, right? So yeah. Yeah. And,
1: yeah. and but you know, I think there's a lot of confusion. And before we get into the topic, I want to talk about why there's confusion. Mm-hmm. So virtualization was invented by mm-hmm. IBM about 50 years ago to timeshare mainframes. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. VMware did it about 20 years ago. And, you know, when you're dealing with old drugs, the marketing companies, if they want to rebrand them, they come up with a fancy name. And when you're dealing with cloud computing, it's really hard to resell 50-year-old technology. So, <laughs> you know, those of us that are familiar with computing, we go to VMware ESXi server, and we create a virtual machine. Now, the cloud providers don't want to call it the virtual machine because it's hard to sell 50-year-old technology as brand new. So AWS made up their own turn called the last compute cloud for virtual machine. And Google made up this fancy term called compute engine instance. Mm-hmm. And only Azure and Oracle actually call it a virtual machine. So what happens is, when we start looking at the network in the data center, as we've taken these terms that are so simple that we all understand, and we've abused obvious by them by coming up with fancy marketing terms. <laughs> that's why everybody's concerned. They don't know where to stick their storage. They don't know where to stick their servers. They don't understand right. any of it because the cloud providers made it clear like, hey, wait. This is a special service. They'll ask to compute cloud too, and they could have just mm-hmm. called it virtual machine, and then everybody would know. And by making it complicated, we all forget the standard network and data center things that we know. And because mm-hmm. we forget, we make silly decisions, and that's where all these outages, problems, and security hacks that occur every day, and um, the cloud, especially with regards to object storage buckets, that's why they're coming from.
0: Excellent. Well, yeah, I think explaining all this, uh, it, it sounds like that's what you do. Could could you maybe, before we get into the main topic, tell us just a bit about uh, what Go Cloud Careers is and and uh, what you're doing uh, on this kind of uh, topic every day, right?
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Greg. So for about 20 years, I've helped people find their first tech job or get promoted in tech. Now, about a year ago, I wanted to help somebody get their first tech job. In fact, my friend said, my kid's ready to graduate with a computer yeah. engineering." And he's like, Mike, I've seen some of your interns. He's like, your interns are amazing. And I want my kid to have one of those jobs. So what I did was as follows. I mean, I was doing private coaching. I basically bought him the, th- th- the top three selling Amazon courses. And mm-hmm. the nice young man called me back after three days and said, Mike, I set up an EC2 instance and an S3 bucket. And he said, what is it? <laughs> and I said, what there do you, you mean? You yeah. just yeah. configured it. He says, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. So what I do? I watch these three best selling courses and went, Oh, my God, they just told them the name of something how to configure it, but they didn't even Mm -hmm. tell them what it was. then I was thinking from an architect perspective, how do you design a system that you have no idea what it is? And the answer is you can't. And so what I did is I, I put a made a YouTube video that says how to get your first tech job. Mm -hmm. And within a few minutes, I had so many requests saying, Mike, please help me get hired. So what I did is I took my 20 years of private helping people get hired program and I created our cloud architect career development program, where I take people regardless of their background, and I teach them to be cloud architects. And if they've worked in tech before, it takes me about four months. And -hmm. if they've never worked in tech, it takes me about eight months. And I learned how to do this when I went from medicine to network architecture 25 years ago. So I've been a Mm -hmm. specialist on career transitions, and I train people to be hired. I don't just train them in the tech, I train them in the business acumen, the leadership skills, the communication skills, the executive presence, the CXO relevancy, the ability to do an ROI model, the ability to negotiate through the work of the Harvard negotiation project, plus the Chris Voss negotiation work we use, how to present, I mean, how to write up an architecture, what we did is we put this 500 hour comprehensive architect program, and I train cloud architects, and I have students literally speaking in every continent, except for an article. And they get hired every single day. We have a little bell that I ring. It's like, okay, I'm ringing that bell. And each time one of my students get hired, it still brings tears to my eyes. Even they could think after it happening every day, it'd be no big deal. But Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, taking somebody that's in poverty and seeing prosperity after Mm -hmm. an eight-week course that I charge basically a single day's pay because I don't need to work, that makes me happy.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you know, uh, sort of uh, now bringing us into our topic of the day, cloud outages, Very much, uh, you know, along those lines, I think it would probably be appropriate for you to explain first, what do you mean by cloud outages? Um, uh, How can that present itself in the real world to someone working at, uh, say, you know, a sort of uh, enterprise uh, networking IT team?
1: Yeah, so let's say we start traditionally, and then we basically say the cloud. So many of us in the traditional data center have seen the network, which is the foundation of all services, go down. Maybe there was a routing loop. Maybe there was a software bug. Maybe it was a layer two network or spanning tree was doing something goofy, and all of the systems would go down. And then we networking people would be there would be shutting off routers taking protocol analyzers and looking for data to try and figure out was broken. So we could fix it. Mm-hmm. Now, the cloud is nothing more than a standard network or a data center. So if there's a problem in the data center of the cloud, guess what, that whole data center goes down. Mm-hmm. Now, same thing with the switches, same thing with the routers, same thing with the servers, but it's worse than that. See, in our data centers, the only kind of control plane we're really dealing with is the network and the routing protocols. In the cloud, we now have the network, we now have the control plane of the cloud, which is what orchestrates the cloud. Mm -hmm. So we've got these servers that every time I create a virtual machine goes, hey, go to server 697, go to server 622, use block storage associated in this, uh, this part of the data center. use block storage associated with someone else. So now everything's dependent upon the network and not everything's even in the same data center. So now when that network goes down, you can lose everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with a cloud, you know, we've got the cloud provider. Now they've got redundancy in their networks. Theoretically, they've got, you know, separate data centers. And of course, they've got separate regions. And theoretically, you know, they segment them. And the theory is if the data center goes down in the cloud, guess what? You just back up to another data center. But Azure had a massive hacking event this year and uh, had a pretty significant outage. And thousands of users were compromised. Google had a pretty bad network outage that affected a tremendous number of users. Mm -hmm. And AWS has had massive outages. And the kind of outages that AWS had affected users in every region of the world. And, you know, like we've told people forever, it doesn't matter if you have a massive problem in the middle of Kansas, it can ripple throughout the world if it's on the same right. network. So, mm-hmm. got a network, single control plane. Now, a control plane gets hacked, your cloud's dead. Like all of it, the whole cloud is gone. The cloud gets hacked and it affects the network DDoS, the whole cloud can be gone in every region of the world. You get a network failure. Guess what? The whole cloud can be gone. So, you know that's why we're talking about hybrid clouds and multi-clouds. Because Greg, you and I have built WANs forever. If we were going to connect New York and London, we're not going to get two AT&T links to New York and London. I love AT&T. It's a great service mm-hmm. provider. And the reason we wouldn't do two T links is, look, we might have an underground cable which one gets cut and the other works, and we'd be happy. But if AT&T has a global outage, we lose both links, and we've got no connections between New York and London. So right. we might use AT and T on one link and British Telecom on another link. And the reason we do that is redundancy. So our philosophy is, a single cloud is just like a single service provider, a single point of failure, and we'd be never crazy enough to do this with the WAN. Cisco mm-hmm. advised us for decades not to do this. Juniper advised us for decades. Heck, even the service providers themselves buy links on each other's networks and advised us against this. And now we've got cloud providers that are service providers that are saying, guess what? We've miraculously Mm. figured it out. Put all your eggs on one basket and we're fully diversified until they're not. And we've seen time and time again that they're not. So I think we need to revert back to the strategy that we've
0: preached forever.
1: Redundancy. Two is one. None is none. One is none.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And so, and so from, from the perspective now, you know, there's there's a, a conversation here that could be had with you know the cloud providers, but of course we're we're talking to the folks using their services. So knowing that we probably can't change the way that AWS and Azure and Google and, and whatnot are, are going to sort of engineer their networks, what can we do on the uh, you know IT infrastructure team at Enterprise XYZ's side, right?
1: Okay, so there's a couple of things. So I do want to note that Google's now out there saying, hey everybody. You can't use a single cloud. You should train your engineers to work on Google. Knows that. So, Mm -hmm, Google's mm -hmm. the first major cloud provider that's saying, Hey, wait, um, this is bad practice. Don't do it. And we're here to guide you. But, you know, it's like anything else. So, when we connect to cloud providers, they like to tell us that their router on their end is redundant. So, all we need to worry about is a single router on ours because it's going to create two logical connections. Right. Now, that's what they tell us. But if our router dies, has a bug, power outage or crashes, can we lose both connections to the cloud. So clearly mm-hmm. that's not it. So what do mm-hmm. we need? When we connect to the cloud, we need redundant routers and redundant connections. So for example, go back to the military adage: one is none, two is one and three mm-hmm. is greater than two. So mm-hmm. I would probably use two routers for most of my customers that are connecting to the cloud provider. We're using BGP, which is the world's, you know, simplest and most tunable routing protocol. Scalability and I make sure that those routers that I'm using have multiple power supplies across different circuits because mm-hmm. we can't have a power outage affecting our systems. That just doesn't right. happen in reality. The net and of course, those those circuits are going to be plugged into two different power distribution units, which are going to be plugged into two different UPSs, they're going to be plugged into two backup generators. So the point is we don't have power outages in real data centers. So we've mm-hmm. got that. And then we're going to put links on multiple line cards. So if a line card would have failed, guess what? It doesn't matter. And of course, with these routers that connect to the cloud, remember, if we're connected to the cloud, the cloud is everything. We're going to put two control modules. So we can basically lose the router's brain. We can lose a power circuit. We can lose a control module, and we've still got two links. And you know what? I'm going to have a second router that connects to the cloud doing that too in another region. And I'm going to have two more of those to go to two clouds. So my network is solid. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I'll firewall off my clouds from each other, limit my routing information maybe add some QoS to the WAN links in case we get infected with a worm. For example, I don't Mm -hmm. want that worm traffic overwhelming that WAN link to the cloud. So, you know, that's how we do it. And really, then it's no different than a hub and spoke environment where I connect to an office in New York and an office in San Francisco from my home in Palm Beach. Same thing, It's identical, Mm -hmm. same Mm -hmm. BGP routing. And if I wanted to, I could even store everything I had in my own data center and share that information across my high-speed link to the cloud. And guess what? The cloud, you don't pay to send your data to them. You pay to retrieve it. So I literally speaking could have all my servers on both clouds working off my data center and not even pay to send the data there. Right, right. Because that's one of the things I hear about is where do I stick my data on every cloud? Like You could stick it here. You could stick it there. You could stick in this location and build a high-performance network. It's simple.
0: Mhm mhm. So the d- decision more about sort of how you connect to that rather than uh, sort of where you're putting your data or e- or even yeah. if you're multi-cloud and since obviously you're saying you should be multi-cloud but really uh, e- even if you're multi-cloud you need those redundant connections to all of your multiple cloud providers. Absolutely. And and I love hybrid clouds actually.
1: Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the hybrid cloud is truthfully the best solution. And I love multi-cloud, I love hybrid cloud. The reason I like the hybrid cloud better is when we go through across a WAN, we've got latency. Mm-hmm, and course. when we're on the WAN, we're using block storage in the cloud, which is really low performance. Mm-hmm. For example, an AWS provision IOPS volume, which is a high performance cloud networking volume, gives us 64,000 IOPS. But if I go to Best Buy and buy a Samsung 980 Pro, which is a standard hard drive, we're dealing with about a million IOPS. So mm-hmm. just one of them can be as fast as 15 of the fastest hard drives in the cloud. Now on our servers, we can stick them in a rate array. So we can combine eight of them and we can get some extreme performance. So right. we can actually get better performance in the data center. We've got much less latency in the data center and we've got con- a lot more control over ingress and egress in the data center. Mm-hmm. And we've got less security things to worry about in the data center. So. We've got our data center, which is super high performance, and that's connecting to two clouds. If both clouds go down, we're still there. If a single cloud goes down, we're still there. And by doing that, you know, it's an imagine. So imagine if, for example, a nine one one system or a hospital was on the cloud when these outages occurred. Somebody could die. Mm -hmm. And you know, Mm -hmm. I've been a paramedic for many years, and I was a nurse and a nurse practitioner before I went practicing internal medicine before I went into tech twenty five years ago. And let me tell you. If your systems are online, our emergencies happen and bad things will occur. So right. that's why we really have to think about what are we architecting for? What is it? Is it mission critical, not mission critical? And if it is, we've got to listen to the people that have taught us how to build high availability, mission critical systems, mm-hmm. no single points of failure.
0: Right. And so there's, there's decisions there, right, to be made about if, if you're in a hybrid kind of situation. Uh, working with the the broader IT team who's using uh, that compute that data storage order to determine what goes where, right? Do you have recommendations yeah. on a kind of process for for making those decisions from from the infrastructure or data center side of things for for the rest of you know especially organizations that have maybe shadow it kind of stuff going on and whatnot right how, how do you navigate all of that?
1: I like to I always start now there's two kinds of architects, there's the technical kind of architect and the more enterprise kind of architect. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. the more enterprise kind of architect, I like to start at the CIO, CTO, CEO. And I like to really get tell me about your business. Right, right. Tell me everything that I need to know. Now, granted, I've read their financial statements. I've read their annual reports. By the time I got there, I know what the industry analysts are saying. I know what their competitors are saying, but I want to know what is your business. Mm -hmm. And here's the reason why I worked with a financial customer one time. And basically speaking, they had an algorithmic training thing that a nanosecond of competitive advantage equaled about $40 million of profitability per year per nanosecond. (laughs) Yeah. And what we did is we took the biggest, baddest servers we could put, we'd put them all in a rack with the shortest fiber optic cables as possible with mm-hmm. the fastest you know, routers and switches and servers in the world just so we can keep the CPUs at 5% to make sure right. there was no latency. And you know, we had two redundant ones. And for that use case, it made sense. Why? Because we shaved out milliseconds by mm-hmm. being local and that equated to billions of dollars per year. So for that, that can't go to the cloud. Now, maybe right. I've got a customer that's got a lot of IP multicast, another financial mm-hmm. customer. Again, the cloud doesn't support multicast. So if I want to do multicast in the cloud, I've got to create all these GRE tunnels through the cloud. And again, that's not there. So what i like to do is look at the application. What are the latencies of the application? If so, Mm -hmm. if it's high latency Mm -hmm. dependent, it's going in the data center, not the cloud, because the cloud has got more latency from the WAN, or maybe I can stick in the edge, which isn't as good as my data center, but it's much closer than than the cloud. So maybe I stick it in the edge. So for me, it's all about what is the business. What is Mm -hmm. the business goal? What is the business performance? What are the applications tolerated? I don't know that until I ask questions. Now, I wish I could say that I was on the kind of networks and cloud architectures that normal people are, which is, hey, please help me set up my three-tier web architecture. In 25 years, I don't get asked for these things. I get said, hey, we're building a bank. Nobody's ever done this kind of digitally enabled bank before. Mike, would you like to consult? Which is like oh okay um (laughs) let me go find the 50 smartest people i know to bring with me to help me do it so for me that's why i don't have standards but what i'd say it's based upon the latency the bandwidth and performance requirements of your data
0: yeah absolutely i love that and it really kind of fits with the tagline of, of the show right of uh the the networking that makes business possible that it's about it's about seeing the the network as the business enabler rather than just Reacting to what uh, folks in, in it ask the network team for, you know
1: It's exactly it. It's funny when I worked at Cisco, about eighteen years ago they they realized that selling boxes was not the solution that the sum of the sol- the solution end to end was far greater than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. And they started mm-hmm. asking certain engineers to be instructors of the service oriented network architecture, which was a business driven architecture. And when I was at Cisco, I was selected to be one of those coaches to basically train the engineers in that. And you know, 20 years ago, they were there, they were looking at how the network could enable digital transformation. How did that network enable two people to talk to each other? How did that enable someone in Mexicali to speak to someone in Chicago, so they could collaborate? How could it enable a data center in Bangalore in New York, and when that key became popular and the WAN enabled that it changed everything. Mm-hmm. So, yes, the network is the enabler of all things. I'm 100% with you, Greg, and that's the, exactly the way I look at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at, at Telegeography, as, as a research shop, we're, we're particularly kind of focused on on layers one, two, three. And so one of the things we're often doing research on and talking to enterprises about is is actually how you choose to connect to the cloud, you know, different transport options, and especially in now the the SD-WAN world, uh, we, we've moved away from MPLS being the kind of default for most enterprises. Do you have any recommendations there around what your underlay uh, selections might be um, from, from the office to where you pick up, you know, that first mile connection to your cloud provider? What, what, what do you think are some best practices there with sorting out um, um, among all of these various options uh, especially in in this hybrid, not cloud, but hybrid networking kind of uh, world that SD-WAN brings about.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's kind of interesting. I still see a tremendous amount of Ethernet over MPLS. Mm-hmm. A mm-hmm. tremendous Absolutely. amount. And I'm still seeing predominantly private lines, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you mm-hmm. call it an Express Connect on Azure or Direct Connect, right. basically you're buying a gigabit Ethernet port to something, and then they layer hal- to backhaul you back to their systems. Mm-hmm. I'm actually seeing predominantly IPsec VPNs, when you know, realistically speaking, if speed and performance don't doesn't matter, and you're just trying Mm -hmm. to transfer your things, you don't have latency. I see VPNs, and I see direct connections. So I'd say 80% of what I'm still dealing with is actually just old school,
0: just layer two point to point, or yeah, yeah, absolutely. Software
1: defined networking, and that's not really my world.
0: Mm -hmm, I've been in networking
1: mm -hmm. forever. I built my networking career initially. I spent my first 10,000 hours working on nothing other than BGP, and my mm-hmm. next 10,000 hours doing IP multicast video. And then after that, I basically became more the business architect that was architecting the world's largest customers. So okay. SDN was not something that I still, mm-hmm. the concept of separation of that control plane and data plane, being able right. to provide MPLS like privacy, performance, and security, it's coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the cloud's a little slow to adopt new technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, really slow. For example, <laughs> AWS just announced routing in between subnets in September of this mm-hmm. year, which mm-hmm. Cisco was doing in like, what, 1985. So when we start looking what's going on in the cloud, each day, there's a new press release, but it's getting us closer to the functionality that we had 15, 20 years ago in the data center. So, you know, it's going to take us a little while to get the WAN to the performance that it was in the network in the data center for the cloud, from what I'm seeing.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's that's a, a really interesting take, I think, on all that, because sometimes it, it can very much get lost in kind of what you, you mentioned at, at the start of that um, that there's new ways of talking about some of the same technologies that have always existed, right? So, yeah. uh, it's not to say that sometimes there's not some, you know, sort of uh, distinction that 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 is worth digging into, but that um, we're, we're not reinventing the way that computers talk to each other with every no. one of these innovations, right? Yeah,
1: if it's a private line, a direct connect or an express connect, mm-hmm. you know, it's a private line. To me, it's always going to be a private line. When I talk to my customers, I'm going to talk about a private line. Uh, I'm not going to tell my customer, I can set you up an express connect because they're not even going to know what it is, right? They're going to look at me like I have four heads. And if I said, Hey, I can set you up a direct connection, or they're like, is that a private line? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a private line. So you know, I think we need to, I'm a fan of using plain and simple language. You know, if you're giving Mm -hmm. me a postage stamp, call it a postage stamp. If I get in a car, it's a steering wheel, it's not an elastic rotational, Directional changer. And as long as I keep it <laughs> right. something that I can understand and my customers understand, we're speaking the same language.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, just like you say, in the end, someone has procured a wavelength or a layer two point to point between nodes and you have traffic going over that. Right. It's like at bottom, it is still just, you know, wires uh, between, uh, uh, you know, uh, machines. Right. And so, uh, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah bring that up. Actually, it's, it's interesting because there's, there's a phenomenon, uh, you know, going on in, in the, the security world, right. You know, sort of like, uh, sassy, and there's a lot of what you might call you know, sassy washing of folks taking, uh, security technologies that have existed, uh, for, for decades in some cases, and, and, you know, fitting that into this, uh, sort of sassy framework. Um, I think this is probably a topic we could do a whole episode on, but just Absolutely. as it kind of relates to the sort of avoiding outages and, and mitigating them or whatnot. Do you have any kind of security recommendations that come up uh, when you're talking about this with uh, you know students or or uh, you know clients and that sort of thing?
1: About SASE security or about general cloud security?
0: Yeah, about general cloud security because yes. we'll, we'll we'll deal with sassy as a particular. I just brought that up because of the you know the sort of. Um, the, common security techniques being brought under this moniker of a, of this new framework when Ooh, you know in, they in, scare in, me yeah, exactly in every way yeah yeah
1: so yeah. and actually it's interesting because the sassy firewall thing is pretty interesting i used to work mm-hmm. for a company called riverstone networks mm-hmm. and they had these two engineering folks that ran the organization kumar meta and apurva meta and they started versa networks. And I got to tell you, every time I speak yeah. to them, that sassy solution is very elegant. So when I speak mm-hmm. to those folks at versa, I'm loving it. But here's the thing, when we're going to be on the cloud, we have cloud security options. Mm-hmm. Now the cloud has these little native tools, like AWS has something called WAF, a web application firewall. And what it is, right. is AWS made us you know, a firewall for web applications. Right. Now, if I had an enterprise to secure, and AWS made this firewall a couple of years ago, and I got to say, wait, they're the world's largest retailer, and they're a cloud provider. Well, um, are they this my number one security go-to company? And the answer is mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. because it's not their core business. Now Palo Alto security is their core business. Right. Fortinet security is their core business. Cisco security is one of their core businesses. Mm-hmm. Checkpoint mm-hmm. security is their core business. So. If I look at a layer seven firewall that only protects a web application that I can get from a cloud provider, or a robust next generation firewall from Cisco or Palo Alto, that's going to come in, Mm -hmm. that's going to protect me at layer three, four, five, six, and seven. Mm -hmm. Something that's had billions of dollars of research and development, something that's been tested by the world's most critical customers with regards to security. That's what I'm using in my systems, right? And why? First, it's going to work better. Secondly, it's going to give me a much better feature set. But third, I can use that same Cisco firewall on Azure and AWS Mm. and my data center. And now I can run a real security policy. Mm -hmm. Because if I was going to do multi cloud, and then I'll tell you the rest of my security policy if I use AWS's branded, you know, whatever they made, and I use Azure's branded, whatever they make, I've got three different sets of firewall policies. And if AWS's firewall gets hacked, It's a backdoor into my system. So what I typically do is as follows. I typically take a content delivery network for web apps. Why? Because the content delivery network will give us some DDoS protection. And I add some Mm -hmm. DDoS protection to it. And that way, only legitimate requests will be forwarded to the server. Next thing that I typically do is I have a network load balancer. Now, in the data center, I can have my two high availability firewalls there. But in the cloud, I can't go rack anything there. So because I can't do it, I've got to use virtual machines. Mm -hmm. No virtual machines are not mission critical high performance devices. So I need something to load share basically meaning if one of the virtual machines dies, I need to remove it. So I typically use a network load balancer to load balance in between my firewalls. And that way, I'm in the cloud, I have my content delivery network, I have my firewalls which are load balanced. Now I'm going to use next generation firewalls which are also going to have an intrusion detection intrusion prevention. Now I might still need so much security that I want a secondary intrusion prevention. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I might take another set of network load balancers and stick another set of virtualized IDS IPS systems. Then beyond that, I've still got a lot to do I haven't even I haven't even scratched the surface of security. Now, right. on my my routers, I can create access lists to filter in between subnets and on the cloud, I can do a network access list, which is a layer three access list. Which is basically a stateless way to keep traffic out of your subnets. Now the Mm -hmm. cloud providers also give us something else. They give us like a stateful firewall on the way into our services. So we can say only port 443 or HTTPS is allowed on the server, that's called a security group. So we're gonna have our firewalls, which are next generation, our IDS IPS systems, then we're gonna have our network access control list or access control list, then we're gonna have these security groups, then on our servers, we still haven't scratched the surface our servers can be hacked. So what right. are we going to do, we're going to put another firewall on the server, a host based firewall, we're going to put some anti malware protection, we're going to disable unnecessary services. So we don't have any open ports. And then again, we're going to patch these systems. Mm-hmm. Now that covers some of the security, but not all we should be encrypting our storage, okay. we should be using some kind of a triple authentication authorization accounting or identity access management to say that Greg is allowed on the systems. This is what he is allowed to and then keep track of it when we're done. Mm-hmm. And reality is in today's world, we can do some event driven security. We can basically have our logs kick off like a little mini code function or to remediate something in AWS, they would call it Lambda; the Azure would call it a function. So mm-hmm. we can basically have somebody do something goofy. We kind of our logs kick it off and we can automatically remediate it. So that's kind of part of what I like to do. Right. And the other thing that I like to do is I like to aggregate the logs, mm-hmm. Greg, you've mm-hmm. been around. You know how you've got thousands of logs that are coming in. And for the customers that really want to do something cool, we can take their logs, we can actually push the logs through a machine learning engine, and then mm-hmm. we can use a tool like Tabula or Power BI to visualize what's going on. So right. we can visualize things going on our networks. And that's pretty much my typical security architecture. Again, mm-hmm. it's far more than the typical that they would teach you in a certification just out of WAP. Right. A but customers need security, and this is what I use. And this is mm-hmm. my typical recommendation on anybody that needs high performance security. And that same thing I can do in my data center, and as many clouds as I like, so I have matching policies.
0: Right, right. That's, that's really key, right? To be able to orchestrate it all very easily. And, and it, it sounds like you're talking probably about several different vendors being involved in all of this. Right? So yeah, yeah. It, yeah. But it's
1: a, it's the usual
0: suspects. Right, right. Who do you go right. for
1: networking? Cisco or Juniper? Who do you go mm-hmm. for firewalls? Cisco, Palo Alto, Fortinet for the most part, right. I mean, that's who you're gonna go to. So who are you going to go for databases? Oracle. Right. So basically, instead of using any of these cloud things the providers made themselves, just mm-hmm. use the industry standards. And then you can get on and off any cloud you want, anywhere, anytime you're not locked in. Right. And in some cases, it's even cheaper.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's I, I think that that's a... A, a big theme for for everything that you've been hitting here is, is avoiding that vendor lock in finding the best in breed and putting the solution together based on what works rather than sort of you know uh, a, a stack that that sounds nice and easy right so yeah
1: yeah uh, and you know everybody has bugs it's just part of life right. and by having right. this discrete equipment you, you're kind of immune to some of those bugs So Mm, it gives mm. you a lot more flexibility, a lot more agility. And it's just that vendor lock, in I mean, that's really bad. I mean, as it stands right now, I remember, I actually saw an executive tell a customer that the the press release they issued cost the company a billion dollars a year. (laughs) And Uh, uh, (laughs) I remember watching the executive tell this customer in hard because I was thinking, Okay, great. Um, somebody's going to have to sell this customer now their new services and now the customer knows a bad press release cost the company a billion dollars a year. And I saw that once in my car right. and went, oh, but that's the key. Mm-hmm. I've got if I'm on two clouds and Azure wants to raise my rates, for example, I just flip the coin Azure AWS, Azure raised my rates, I can say, Azure, you know what, you really want to raise my rates, you know, I'm going to go to AWS, um, I'm going to issue a press release that Azure raised my rates, and I want to get AWS now, right. will Azure be raising my rates? No. Azure mm-hmm. will say, what's it going to take to keep you here? Because that right. press release could be worth billions of dollars a year it could be AWS that raises rates It really doesn't matter. But the point right. is, is you've got protection, negotiation, power, buying power. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just, especially if you're cloud native, you recode all your after in the cloud, they're like, you can't leave me, it's going to cost you millions and millions and dollars to leave and months and months to get out of here, you can't leave so we can do whatever we right. want.
0: That's right, CEO, how exactly. you
1: architect your customers, but I don't I like to give my people freedom. Hmm.
0: Hey, it's it's not that different than uh, you know calling the uh, your ISP and, and threatening to, to leave at, at, for your home connection, right? When they raise the rates suddenly after your uh, introduction, yeah, 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 absolutely. Same thing. Excellent, Mike. Well, th- this was really really interesting conversation. I, I I've learned a lot. I much appreciated uh, your insights. Any kind of final thoughts or, or key takeaways on on avoiding and mitigating cloud outages or 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 the security piece.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It all comes down to basic networking and data center technologies.
0: Yeah, I think that's that I mean, I want to highlight that for you. Sorry to interrupt. But that, you know, really to that to think of this as this is a network, and you're doing network engineering, it is not this whole class of different thing, right? So
1: it's just network and data center technologies. Mm -hmm. And when people say, Mike, I'm certified in everything, I can't get hired as a cloud architect, I, I ask them, tell me what is a virtual machine? describe mm-hmm. it to me talk about the hypervisor the member management and they can't when i mm-hmm. say explain the bgp decision algorithm and they say why do i need to know that and i say well if you have a direct connection or a private line to aws you must use bgp aws tells you if you have two links block one link so that you don't have out of order packets but after 25 years of networking i don't know what any customer wants to buy two links and have to block one they're going to want to load share by sending one subnet on one link and another one, and they still need out of order packets. So what they mm-hmm. teach in the AWS Advanced Networking is just block a link. I mean that's not reality. So mm-hmm. what I'd say is for those working in the cloud, get your fundamentals strong. Mm-hmm. Learn the network. Learn routing. Learn switching. Learn IP addressing. Learn route summarization. Learn NAT. Learn VLANs. VLAN tagging. VLAN trunking. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera learn servers, server architecture, containers, Mm -hmm. container architecture, storage, what is block storage? How does it work? Why does the company use it? The business benefits same for object storage, file storage, learn DNS, for real, learn how the DHCP messages work for real. Mm -hmm. Learn about your WAN technologies, how they work for real, learn about the types of load balancers and how they work. And then we get to the cloud. Guess what? It's all the same. But right. now we have the deep knowledge of the inner workings of it, as opposed to the hidden stuff. And what is a cloud really? The cloud just means you don't know what it is.
0: Right. Exactly. I, I always say that. The cloud is just the part that on a diagram that someone's using that they don't want to explain. At this exactly. Time, right? so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, that that was, uh, like I said, really uh, interesting conversation. I think um, uh, that that we all are listening to this, going to learn something uh, useful. If folks want to learn more, Mike, how should they find you?
1: They can find us at www.gocloudcareers.com, or they can find us on our YouTube channel, which is the busiest cloud computing channel anywhere on YouTube, which is Go Cloud Architects. So we'd always love to talk to people, um, We're thrilled to be here on with you, Reg. And the concept of a WAN podcast, we love it. We've seen other yeah. podcast episodes. They're fantastic. They talk about networking technology, which is
0: my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, awesome. I mean, that that is definitely clear. So I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy talking schedule. I understand you're on YouTube for hours a, a day generally. So, uh, you know, uh, thank, thanks for taking some time to uh, lend that voice to uh, over here at the WAN Manager Podcast.
1: So happy to be here, Greg
0: excellent cheers we'll we'll do this again sometime i look forward to it thanks for listening the Wind manager podcast comes from the team at telegeography it's edited and produced by jane miller and it's hosted by me greg brian i also wrote the theme song that you're listening to right now to learn more about our data jump over to telegeography.com or if you want to get right into more wind content like you hear on the show you can visit Telegeography's WAN Forum at WANforum.com. We've got all of our podcast episodes over there, WAN Manager survey data, and extra analysis pieces. That's all for now. So until next time, WAN enthusiasts.